What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? Welcome to our first DraftKings DFS Lab of the Week 15 slate. I am your host, JM. Keegan will be with me in a moment. We will be building a roster, talking through this interesting Week 15 slate and kind of getting our hands dirty a little bit with how we might look to build. Obviously, as we do this, we talk through strategy, we answer questions from Keegan and help you become a better DFS player. DFS is not a game of picking players. DFS is a game of outmaneuvering our opponent. So we will dive into some of that stuff as well. With that, I think we're ready to get started. Uh, I always forget to mention this, throw this on 1.5x speed or 2x speed, even, even if you're on YouTube uh, and let's get started. One week season. We are back. Keegan, it's been a while, man. Um, yeah. I have seen you in person. We, we probably talked for like three to five minutes because of all the family around. But uh, yeah. I've yeah. seen you in person since the last time we recorded. Uh, we have not done a show since you had your situation with your job burning down. So, yeah, that was uh, crazy, man. I know some people were concerned. Um, what are things looking like on your end right now? Uh, still looking. It's like the worst time of the year to look for a job like the the christmas season like everybody's out you know yeah one's hiring at the moment so just uh staying positive nice yep i mean that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um well it's weird to talk about dfs on the backs of all of that but uh <laughs> yeah we had so you couldn't do the show that week then the next week we had i had technical difficulties where i restarted my i don't know if i told you this i restarted my chrome browser i hadn't like closed it and reopened it all nfl season and when i reopened it it like rebooted all of my settings back to 2020 like i had all my old bookmarks uh i had fantasy draft as one of my uh bookmarked tabs which is like a defunct dfs site that went away in 2021 i think so uh so anyhow i couldn't log into Streamyard to do my shows and aaron was on a cruise so he wasn't like seeing the security notifications that he needed to approve for me to get in so then we went a week with no shows and then last week uh was last week with all the, the travel and whatnot, I did solo shows. So yeah, you and I are back together for the first time and um, very interesting slate on, on tap this week where I don't know if you've, if you've spotted this, but probably the most interesting thing to me is we've got seven games early, three games late. The seven games early are all like really ugly mm -hmm. and the three games late are not really attractive from like a DFS perspective necessarily, but from an over under perspective, they're all really attractive. And so it's interesting in that we've gotten used this year, we've gotten used to like seeing a, a games of the 45 point total, 45 point over under 46 point over under and being like, Hey, this is a pretty nice game environment because we've gotten so used to seeing games like under 42 in the past though, it would have typically been like the games from 42 to 45, 46 are the games that you're kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not. And then there'd be a handful of games of like 47 and above. And then games of like below 40, you wouldn't even think about, like you wouldn't even consider those games. So interestingly, this slate, it gives us six games that the over-under is 38 or lower, but then also three games that the over-under is 48 or higher. So it's like six games that in the past, we would have been like, oh, I'm not even considering these games, but then also three games that in the past, we'd be like, oh, these are the most attractive games on the slate. So it's not like, it's not like we have three high totals for this year. We have three genuinely high totals. Um, and then they're all in the late slate. So there is this possibility to just like roster only one or two pieces from the early games and then just take all the information of like, okay, here's what I'm working with now and then build your rosters, you know, right before the late games kick off. So 
Um, I don't know if you've thought about that at all, but that's yeah. one of the like first things that stood out to me this week. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because that's actually like what I thought about doing. I was like, man, like with how everything is looking, I could just add like one or two pieces from the early early slate. And I was like thinking in my head, man, what if everybody does this? And it's just such a weird <laughs> like you're gonna check your your roster and like everybody's kind of tied around the same. And, like, <laughs> one player everybody else is like unknown until like, <laughs> yeah, i could see that when you said that you thought of that too it was like maybe this won't be sneaky you know maybe everybody will be, <laughs> everybody will be doing this um, everybody's gonna be on it <laughs> yeah you know one of the things that we see with like i don't know if you've ever played the thursday to monday slate but there's yeah. an edge in playing that when there's just like a bad game on thursday night because a lot of times people will lock in that game because they want some action from that game. Like they want to have something to root for on Thursday night, but they don't want to just play the showdown. So almost every roster, like 70 to 80% of rosters will have at least one player from that game. And it's a game that if it were on the main site, they might totally ignore. So there are little things like that, that the field doesn't necessarily think through. And, and so I do think there's a, there, there will be a large chunk of rosters that are just treating the early games like normal games, but that does open an interesting strategy component of like what is the early game that could shoot out or what is the early game that could produce big scores interestingly i don't know that there is a game that even falls into that um bucks and packers is maybe the closest the over under there is 41 and a half uh the problem there is the Packers side they've topped 20 i think it was they've topped 24 points only three times all year and they've allowed their opponents to top 25 points only one time all year. So they've topped 24 in two of their last three games, but that's still only three times all season that they've done it. So it's like they kind of, it's the same thing as when Aaron Rodgers was there, except it's no longer even Aaron Rodgers, right? They slow the game down. They're very methodical. Uh, and they're very much like a chess match type of team where they'll take time off the play clock. They'll they'll run the ball to set up the pass, but it's all very slow paced. So, um, and, then, and then they try to prevent downfield passing. So yeah, it just kind of mutes the game environments for them. Um, kind of hard for that to take off. I don't know. Do you see anything else in the early games where you're like, oh, this could actually turn into a, a shootout? Because um, that would obviously help us quite a bit. No, I actually um, liked the Packers-Bucks game that you just said. And it's in my head, I, uh, I've done it based on like how I've watched Jordan Love play. Yeah. Like, the last few games or so. And he's just gone up from the beginning of the year so much. Um, and that's that's where like uh, my opinion came in like my bias. So maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but uh, I thought that could be a slate breaker. Yeah. And I mean, they play methodical. So yeah. Bias isn't bad though. I mean, in in terms of like, if you're seeing a player and you're like, I mean, you have to have opinions on players. And I think that's one of the things that um, can help us because whether you're, if you're playing MME, you need to have, I, I talked about this on the winter circle podcast this week, but somebody was asking like how big my MME pool is. And I'm less concerned with how big my pool is and more concerned with how tight my core is. So like this last week, I had six quarterbacks, but Justin Fields was 40% and Josh Allen was 30%. And so then the other four quarterbacks were just like dividing up the final 30%. It was like Josh Dobbs, uh, Joe Flacco, Jake Browning, uh, and one other cheap guy. Um, and then same thing at like at wide receiver, I had 60% DJ Moore. I had 40% Amari Cooper. I had... Uh, 20% or 30% of somebody else who hit. And then like the same thing at running back, right? So I'm going to have like a tight core and then I'm going to mix and match a bunch of pieces around that. And then same thing if you're single entry or three max, like you're going to want a pretty tight core where you're just like, okay, these are the guys I'm betting on this week. And and in some regard, that can't just be like, oh, the numbers say this or these other people are saying this. It has to be like, I've seen something that I'm going to have conviction because 
you think about all the weeks, and I think this is important for anybody watching this, like you think about all the weeks where you're like, oh, I'm scared to lose. And so I'm not going to play the guy that I'm seeing and I'm going to listen to somebody else. And you still end up losing money, right? So you'd rather lose by being like, all right, I'm going to take a stand on Jordan Love has looked really good, right? And mm. uh, like last week I lost, I hate this because I run OWS. So like people listen to what I say. So it's cool when I'm all over Josh Allen against the Eagles and, and then we're all over the tops of the leaderboards that week, or I'm all over Tank Dell at 3,200 and 3,600 and we're all winning money on those weeks. It sucks on a week like last week where I kind of put my stamp on the week and I was like, I'm not playing Drake London. Um, since Desmond Ritter had taken back over at quarterback, they, they had like tried to hide him as much as possible. He hadn't topped 27 pass attempts. Drake London hadn't topped seven targets in like a month and a half. They were playing a Bucks team that typically filters teams toward the air, but teams have been attacking them on the ground more and more. Uh, the Falcons run the ball at a rate 10% higher than expectation, which is more than any team in the leagues. And it was kind of like, oh man, Drake London's going to be popular. And like all the signs in terms of like where these teams are trending and how they're calling games and how teams are attacking him, all the signs point toward him seeing six or seven targets and being really popular. Right? And then he goes out and puts up his best career game. You ha like you have to be willing to lose on stuff like that. So I always try to be cautious in like, how strong I am with those assessments. I didn't do a good job of that last week. I was trying to be cautious because like there were very clear pathways to him hitting. He was on my early practice builds. And then it was like, as I dug deeper into the numbers, it was like, oh, the chances aren't as high as everybody's going to think. So maybe this ends up being the edge. I try to not go too overboard on that because I don't want to push subscribers away from a guy who ends up hitting. But at the same time, like in your own play, you have to be willing to be like, you know what? I'm going to go 0% Drake London this week. And if that's the reason you lose, that's the reason you lose because there's other weeks where your conviction is going to win you money. So uh, all that to say, like, I don't think that watching Jordan Love and being like, man, he looks really good is a reason to be like, oh, but maybe I shouldn't trust myself. On that. You know what I mean? Like you got to find that that avenue to be like, dude, whatever. I see it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And even his scores recently, right? 10.9 last week. That Giants defense has been really good against quarterbacks of late. But 23.7, 26.6, 23.9. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. And we can even pull up like the late games where uh, – fact let's let's go ahead and pull up the quarterbacks from the late games um on your end like it's not like we're excited to play kyler murray against um the 49ers right so pull up brock purdy and you see his scores right he's got the 32 pointer but you look through the rest of his season like the rest of his season is all scores that line up with what jordan love has done recently uh we've got washington and the rams that's actually an interesting interesting one to talk about so if we don't hit on that one today we can hit on it uh in our next show but um, obviously some upside from those quarterbacks, but then you've got Dallas playing Buffalo, Buffalo playing Dallas, like both quarterbacks, are super expenses, expensive. What are the chances of them putting up like 35 to 40 points? Uh, so I honestly don't even mind saying like, dude, Jordan love plus Jaden Reed or something like that. Um, and you end up like on a different starting point than everybody else. And then you can still leave a lot of space for these, these late games or play the late games differently than everybody else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would you, if you did that, would you be interested in a bring back from the, from the Buck side, or how would you want to handle that? Um, honestly, I I wasn't thinking of doing a bring back. I actually wanted to like dip into the Washington Rams game. All uh, right, and, let's and do. The problem is, is like you said, they're they're so expensive, and a lot of the guys from the the late window are very expensive. Yeah, uh, wide receivers and quarterbacks. Um, honestly, I don't I don't know like what your opinion is on this, but I, I wasn't going to do too much if at all, any of the um, bills Cowboys game. Uh, yeah. So, 
Yeah. So I think that it's all about taking a stand, right? Because then you're telling a story. And one of the mm-hmm. mistakes that people make is just thinking like, okay, I'm going to take a piece from this game and a piece from this game and a piece from this game and hope I get everything right. Whereas if you instead are like, okay, I'm going to tell like three or four stories, it's easier to get three or four stories right and to build your roster around that. So you can tell, like I could come up with the numbers and the statistics and the storytelling of why Dallas and Buffalo is going to be a shootout and be the game that you had to have. But I can also come up with the statistics and the angles and the storytelling of why nobody in this game is going to justify their salaries. You know what I mean? Um, neither of these teams tend to allow a lot of points and the like they've been part of shootouts lately, but the shootout side has been the like their side scoring points and the other team not scoring points, both of them against Philadelphia, right? Where we kind of expected them to do well against Philadelphia. Uh, the Bills don't have the Bills have Josh Allen. And that's it. Like Stefan yeah. Diggs is not a top three, top five wide receiver anymore. He's still really good, but he's not like a game wrecker. Uh, Gabe Davis is like an excellent number three and a mediocre number two. Uh, Kincaid is, is good, but he's not again, like not like a game breaker. So it's like, they really are Josh Allen. And so because of that, when they're playing a, a mediocre defense, he's able to take over the game when they're not playing a mediocre defense and they're playing Kansas city last week, or they're playing Dallas. Like there's more opportunity for them to really slow down Buffalo. And then Buffalo does such a good job preventing points. We pull up um, just any Buffalo player and we look at the the scores that they've allowed. Um, in fact, so I don't actually have it pulled up on my end. So it's hard for me to see it on that screen. It's like 17, 27, nine, 24, 24, um, to where like this defense doesn't give up a ton of points. Okay. I've got it on my end. So they gave up 37 to Philly. That was that back and forth overtime game. Uh, they really held Philly down until deep into that game. And then other than that, like 29 in that fluky game to new England and that's it, right? 25 to Jacksonville, 24 to Cincinnati with, with burrow in that game. Uh, let's see 17 to Kansas city, 20 to Miami. So it's like, this isn't a pushover defense in terms of scoring. So yeah, no, I actually think that that's, um, a nice story to tell. And if you're building multiple rosters, you can tell a different story on a different roster, but like we can pick this roster and say, let's tell a story on this one where people are on this game on high priced players and that game doesn't end up hitting. Right. And then it's like, now we have like a little bit of an edge and we can kind of build our roster around that story as well. And in terms of seeing, Hey, how might we be able to take advantage of that game missing? Like who are people going to be on in that game? Probably the quarterbacks if they're on, if they're on that game, and then probably, like, I think people will be scared to pay up for digs. They'll probably still want to use CD Lamb. Um, so finding, like, another high high price piece that's leverage or just building with, like, lower price pieces could give us a different roster than, than those people have. And I, and I kind of think the running backs will be a little bit popular in that one. It's too early to know, too early in the week to really know where the field is going. But I could see that. So kind of, you know, staying away from those running backs going in a different direction. Uh, do you want to start this roster with Jordan Love and one yeah. of his pass catchers? Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. So it looks like Christian Watson is still trending toward missing. Kind of weird that they um, that they made it sound like he like it might be a short term injury because I mean it looked bad when it happened. But uh, and hamstrings obviously can can flare up if you don't give them time. Uh, Jaden Reed obviously is is a super sharp one to consider. We look through his game logs and it's you know the five point six pointer against Kansas City, but. Other than that, it's it's four of his last five games of 15 plus DraftKings points. Uh, you look back to earlier in the year when he was, you know, he's a rookie. These were his first games with no Christian Watson. He had the 19.7, the 10.5. So 
Um, I like him quite a bit. We could also go to Romeo Dobbs. We could go to Luke Musgrave. Any thoughts on how you want to attack this one? Um, I'm cool with grabbing Reed uh, just because we can get a little more flexible with our salary. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that people don't necessarily have like the at this price tag, I don't think people are drawn toward Reed. I don't think he's going to be low owned, but I don't think he's going to get up over like eight, ten percent because um, there's just other people that people feel more comfortable clicking that button. They're more conditioned to clicking that button, which is why we've been able to get Jaden Reed at, at lower price tags at pretty good ownership discounts throughout the season. I would think that will continue this week. Um, though I do think this would be kind of the early game that people would be like, eh, if I'm going to an early game, this would be the one I would look to. Um, okay, so let's move over to this Washington and, uh, and Rams game. And one of the things that I think is important to think about this week, and I've talked about this on Winter Circle over the years, I went back to um, a Thanksgiving slate from 2020. Uh, and on Thanksgiving slate, I won the game changer on this slate. And it was not a three-game slate because the Thursday night game got canceled because of COVID. So it was a two-game slate. And I won the game changer with like a 230-point score or something like that. And I used that as an illustration last year in, in Winter Circle to show like you can build if you find like two right games, you can build from just two games and score well over 200 points. Right. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that people overlook when you get to a 10 game slate is they want to pick pieces from like a bunch of different games. But if if two games combine for 60 plus points. Right. Like I think that the scores in those two games were like 42 to 17 and 42 to 14 or something like that. Right. So it was really just two teams putting up a bunch of points. But because of because those were the only two games you could build around, like we saw a bunch of people scoring over 200 points on that on that slate. So I say that to say, like on a slate like this, you could pick two games and build almost your entire roster around it and significantly outscore everybody else if they're kind of spreading things out and if most of the games underperform. So um, I think that this game is interesting in that, you know, we talked earlier in the year before Cooper Cup came back, there was the week where I went. 80% Tutu Atwell, 80% Kyron Williams, 80% Puka Nakua, which basically ensured that I was going to have double Rams on every roster and mixing and matching all these guys. And Kyron Williams scored 34 in that game. Puka scored 31. So whatever it was, 40% of my rosters that had those two guys paired was so far ahead of the field. Uh, I think that there's potential to do that in this spot to say the week's pretty underwhelming. There could be a lot of games that are low scoring. There could be very few like big scores. And yet there could be a pair of 30 pointers from the Rams. There could be a pair of 30 pointers from the 49ers. Uh, and so you could kind of like go heavy on those teams and then like fill out your roster from there. So um, yeah. And with the Rams, like you could do it with Kyron and pick one of the wide receivers, or you could do it with both wide receivers. Um, or you could bet on this just being like an absolute shootout. Um, you know, as we've said, you're typically going to get about, 55 to 75 points from all your skill position players combined. But there are those rare games where you get hundred points, 110 points from your skill position players. So there is actually possibility for Kyron, Puka and cup to all hit together though. We would want Stafford on that type of roster. So um, yeah, I'll throw it over to you for any, any thoughts you've had on this game. Any thoughts, any thoughts you have off of those thoughts? Um, Cooper had a, a good game last week. So I kind of feel like everybody's going to be leaning more towards Cooper so maybe we grab Puka on this one. Not saying like on any of the other rosters that you make, don't put Cooper Cup on yeah, there. I'm just absolutely. saying, let's grab Puka. But yeah, you kind of pick, pick, pick your take your stand on this one. 
Um, yeah, I like the idea of going to Puka in this one. I mean, the chances of you almost have to have a Ram, a Rams piece on every roster this week um, yeah. because it's there's not going to be a lot of 30-point scores, and there's probably going to be a 25 to 30-pointer that emerges from one of these core pieces. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of going Puka. Do we want to throw a second guy on here, uh, or do we want – which if we threw a second on, it would probably be either Demarcus Robinson because then you don't – you're not necessarily telling the story of Stafford having a monster game. You can still play love. Or it would be Kyron Williams – and saying like this actually kind of plays off the fact that we don't have Stafford by putting um, by putting Kyron Williams on here, hoping that he gets the touchdowns on the ground, and Stafford only throws for one or two touchdowns in this spot. I would love to throw Kyron Williams on here, but uh, we are going to be. I feel like we're going to be pretty tight um, salary wise after this. Yeah, on a week like this, though, one thing we should think about is because we can always pivot, pivot down. But one thing we should think about is if there aren't going to be a lot of high scores on the slate. Like we got to prioritize finding those high scores Yeah. because otherwise you can fall into that trap of like taking the $4,300 guy instead of the $3,300 guy. And there really might not be that big of a difference between those two guys, but there could be a big difference between, you know, the, the points that Kyron Williams scores and the points that somebody else scores at, at running back. Although running back is kind of um, plentiful this week, but it kind of allows us to tell the story of, of the Rams having a big game. Uh, also, we have some salary relief from the fact that, it is trending toward Brian Robinson missing, which would mean if we're betting on the Rams scoring a lot of points, Antonio Gibson gets, you know, becomes really attractive as an option. Uh, Chris Rodriguez will get some of the work on the ground, but Antonio Gibson will have a much bigger role. He's only 5,200. And then, you know, McLaurin is 5,600. I think Dotson's 47, Curtis Samuel's 46. So there, and, and the Rams filter a ton of targets towards tight ends as well. So Logan Thomas is in the mix. All these guys are cheap and kind of lowers our, our salary here. And realistically, we could play two of these guys as well. Um, you know, wouldn't be a bad way to handle things. Okay. What are your thoughts on uh, Zeke? Because Ramondre didn't practice today. And I'm pretty sure he's not going to play. Yeah. So generally speaking, I want to take price tags off of my thinking as much as possible and think about who can post a tournament winning ceiling. Mm. Um, I mean, 27 points against Pittsburgh. I, I do. I mean, I do wonder if that is overselling what he's capable of. The seven catches for 72 yards is the big thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I hadn't given Zeke much thought to this point in the week only because I'm thinking like, Oh, the game total is so low. What are the chances of the Patriots putting up a big game against Kansas city? Um, I do. I mean, I said last week that I thought Buffalo was going to win that game against Kansas city. I actually said, I thought, Buffalo was going to beat Philadelphia as well. Almost got that one. Uh, it's kind of crazy. It wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots win this game. There's the, you know, now it's come out that the expectations are that Belichick is getting fired at the end of the season. Patriots yeah. defense is playing so well. Kansas City offense is running into so many problems. Um, yeah, I mean, and the way that the Patriots want to play kind of matches up with the only things that you can do to attack Kansas City. I can see this game being like a lot closer than people expect. Uh, Zeke being heavily involved in the past game. So, yeah, I mean, I think one thing to think about is there's the field we're competing against, which is like the majority of rosters, right? And there's mistakes that they're going to make. There's things we can do to outmaneuver them. And then there's the people we're competing against for first place, which is the sharpest DFS players who kind of really know what they're doing. And you always see them up in first place. One thing that's cool about the Zeke play is 
the field might be on him heavier than the sharpest DFS players. The sharpest DFS players are going to be like, well, this game total so low. The Patriots have a bad offense. And because of that, like that offense is just marked off their list. They're not even thinking about it. So I do think Zeke, like his ownership, total ownership will matter less than his ownership on rosters that you're truly competing against for first place. And I don't think he'll be high owned on those rosters. So from that standpoint, it, I mean, yeah, it is actually really interesting. Um, let's throw him on here. Let's go ahead and do it. All right, cool. And then if uh, we don't have enough, we can always pivot down. Yeah, and we can always – I mean, if we want to use Antonio Gibson, we can play him in the flex if we want to play one of these. I do think we should play one of these Washington pieces because um, it's probable that one of them has a solid game in response to what's going on on the other side of the ball. Um, but, again, it's always hard to, to kind of figure out where to go among these pieces. So, uh, I don't know. Do you see anything else that you would want to do instead of going in that direction? Uh, like going in the direction of grabbing a Washington piece. Yeah. Um, well, I've actually thought about the, the Washington, like having a bring back with the Washington piece before. And I'm still kind of in my like thought process phase of it all, just because like you said, it, it's really hard to figure out who's going to get the points on that team. Um, and every time I play Washington, I always get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I talk about with like, the 49ers, right, is it's hard to guess who's going to hit, but it's probable that somebody does hit, and on these thin slates, it's probable that there's going to be a 49ers piece on the tournament-winning roster. And so it's better to guess and get it wrong than to not guess at all and not give yourself a shot at having that piece that everybody's going to be chasing, right? But with the commanders, it's different because it's you're guessing, and the score that you get is probably like, 16 to 18 to 20 points so it's not like a score that that i mean it could end up on a tournament winning roster but it won't be the reason that people are winning tournaments right like if you didn't have debo last week you probably weren't winning a tournament if you didn't have debo the week before you probably weren't winning a tournament if you didn't have kittle a few weeks before that you probably weren't winning a tournament because we haven't had high scoring weeks and these guys have been putting up high scores uh commanders are not like that so it's easier to be like yeah like one of them probably hits but it won't be it's not like, oh, I have to have one of these guys in order to win. So it is fine to leave them off if you don't want to play that guessing game. Though realistically, everything's kind of a guessing game, right? <laughs> like the other spots yeah. in the plate. So um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you've seen like anything. I do think if we're going to them on this roster, Logan Thomas would make a lot of sense because the Rams do filter target to the tight end and we would expect the commanders to be chasing points. So let's move to the tight end position because we can kind of save salary and see what we have to work with. Is there somebody besides um, Logan Thomas who you could see yourself going to on this slate? Um, no, honestly, I'm, I'm totally fine with doing Logan Thomas on this um, specific build. Yeah, it fits in with what we are. You know, I will say um, Darren Waller is potentially coming back this week. He's only 4,400. So that's oh, you, you mean like tight end, like tight end position, not just Washington. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Like Tight end position. Yeah. Um, at the moment. But uh, again, I'm still early in the thinking process and I have like three tight ends. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, who are the other ones that you've been kind of thinking about? Um, I had Kittle, Trey McBride, and I had uh, Njoku. Okay. Um, yeah. On this roster, I guess we throw Logan Thomas in and save the salary. Um, 
And actually, once we go over to defense, we're going to see that we do have like a decent amount of salary to work with still, especially we could potentially get like a really cheap piece and then get an expensive piece. So um, defense, I haven't actually spent much time this week thinking about defense. I do think that we could go as cheap as New England, although I'm not allowed to play the New England defense anymore. But uh, <laughs> they, they lost out, lost my family out on like 30 grand throughout <laughs> a couple of weeks. And Abby was like, you cannot play the Patriots defense. Um you know, the Jets against Miami with Miami with a hobbled Tyree kill. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you seen any cheap defenses that you like? Well, I mean, if we're playing the the um, story, the narrative of it being a low-scoring game for the Bills-Cowboys, what are your thoughts on the Bills themselves, like, as a defense? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not against it, honestly. Um, you know, Dax – Turnovers last year were overstated. Like his turnover worthy play rate wasn't dramatically higher than it had been throughout his career. So he doesn't turn the ball over much. Um, you know, it's a good offense, but also just in terms of if we look through the Bills scores, right? I mean, it's consistently, you know, they're always positive points, but outside of like the Philly game, uh, their home or that was actually on the road as well. So like their home games, they're generally going to put up six plus DraftKings points. They did it against Miami. They've not really played a lot of other great offenses at home, but uh, no, I don't mind it. If we're going to just spend down and see what else we can do. I think the giants are also interesting from like a, a standpoint of they could actually put up a tournament winning type of score. Right. If we want to think about that, because uh, Derek Carr is completely banged up. That offense is completely broken and the giants have been playing really well lately. They're only yeah. more in salary. So uh, I think that's a way that we could go as well, but yeah, I'll let you kind of pick what we want to do at defense here. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's do giants. Um, before we move on though, what are your thoughts on like, so my whole thought process with picking the Bills was, you know, we're going to say that we're not going to play any Bills or any of those pieces from that game. Do we want to grab the defense on either side of that saying that, like, it's not going to be high scoring? One of the defenses has to go off probably. Uh, would that be a good thought process or is that something you usually? Yeah. So it's, there's, uh, I would think a little more nuance in it because the bills and Cowboys core pieces are so high priced that it could be like a 26 to 24 game and the defense special teams units don't produce tournament winning scores. And the, none of these offensive players like were had to have it pieces at their price tags. And that's probably the likeliest way for that game to play out is just kind of in that middle range where the defenses don't really help you. The offenses uh, don't really help you enough at their salaries. The more like the deeper core though, of what you're getting at here is just like, we always want to think about that strategy of when two things are equal, which one provides us more of a strategy edge. Like the giants is just taking a shot, a shot on the defense that could score points. Whereas the bills is taking a shot on a defense that if they're scoring points, it's not only helping our rosters, but hurting other rosters. So if it were a tiebreaker situation, then I'd be like, well, let me just lean toward the bills. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a tiebreaker situation because you've got this Giants, like aggressive Giants defense taking on a Saints offense that's been pretty broken versus like a more, uh, like a more bend but don't break type bills defense taking on a really good Cowboys offense. So um, I do, I mean, the, that strategy angle is what pulls it much closer. And if it were a tiebreaker, I would just be like, yeah, go to the bills because that's how we should always think on our roster. Does any play like last week, it wasn't that, like I said, I had 40% Amari, right? It wasn't that Amari was like a 40% player last week to where let's say Amari had been healthy all week. I wouldn't have been like, oh, I've got to get 40% Amari Cooper. 
but it was that he had the concussion and everyone spent all week expecting him to not play. Everyone was on Elijah Moore at 4,500 and the news came out Saturday night that Amari was going to play. And it was like, oh my gosh, like I know how the DFS field works. Like people are going to move off of Elijah Moore, but not enough, right? I think he still ended up being like 10 or 12% owned because they don't want to change their, their rosters and their thoughts. And people aren't going to pivot over to Amari. And it's like, Amari was 5,800. He scored 27 plus points more than anyone else, like over the last year and a half with just moderately good quarterback play. And it's like the fact that you could get a 30 point score. Amari was like two to 3% owned in all the tournaments I was in last week. So it's like the fact that you could get a two, like a, a 30 point score, a separator score at 5,800 on a guy that nobody else is rostering. Like that strategy edge was what made me be like, he's going on 40% of my rosters. So I say that just kind of illustrate how I think through those things. Like if it had just been, he's healthy all week, they're playing the Jags. I would have been like, oh yeah, Amari's a good play. I'll put him on 12 to 15% of my rosters. But the fact that he was going to be so low owned immediately made him more powerful. Or like I pivoted all my rosters as many, any defense rosters where I had the salary last week, I pivoted to the 49ers on Sunday morning because it was announced that Geno Smith was going to be out. We didn't hear that until shortly before kickoff of the early games. And the 49ers had scored eight or more defense special teams points against Seattle in four straight games with Geno starting. So it's like, well, at worst, they're going to score like eight or nine points. But at best, they could score 15-20 against Drew Locke, and people aren't going to pivot enough, right? And again, 49ers were like 4% owned. Um, and so it wasn't like they were – all of a sudden, they were like 40% of my defense exposure. It's not like they were that much better of a defense than everyone else. It's just like, oh, there's now an edge here because people aren't on them. So um, that's just some more insight. I mean, uh, you and I have talked about this type of stuff, so I know you're, like, you're thinking this way – People who are in the OWS community are thinking this way. So this is kind of more talking through some of this stuff for those of you who are newer to this type of thinking. But yeah, always want to think about the strategy angle where we can. Uh, on this one, I would say it's not really a tiebreaker so much as um, it pulls the bills up a little bit more, but I still kind of prefer the Giants um, defense. So yeah, I mean, I love that question. I think it's like a sharp way to kind of think through these decisions for sure. Great. Yeah. And I mean, like that, like you said, that doesn't apply just to the defense. It really applies to every position. Everywhere. Yeah. Any place where we have tiebreakers, um, we don't want to be like, oh, let me predict what's going to happen. Uh, which, by the way, Amari did end up seeing 14 targets last week. Uh, <laughs> only had oh, you were like seven for 77 and had a fumble, so it didn't actually like work out. But it was, it was like, man, this dude could have a monster yeah. game on a, yeah. on that volume. Um, yeah, man, we're actually like salary wise, it's pretty interesting now because yeah, we we talked already about there's not going to be a lot of 30 point scores on this slate and. One of them probably comes from the 49ers. We actually have the salary to go to like a 49ers piece and then something else. Or, you know, if we wanted, we could try to play the prediction game in the mid range and try to outscore the 49ers pieces. Uh, I don't think either angle is wrong necessarily. Um, although like kind of in the mid range, right? Like you're, Garrett Wilson had his best career game last week with Zach Wilson under center. Like that was the best that he'd ever done with Zach Wilson. And it was 23 points. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what there is kind of in this, you know, no wide receivers top 77 yards against Chicago since week two. And you got Amari at 6K. Um, Gabe Davis against the Cowboys, you don't give up much production to wide receivers. Drake Lemon against the Panthers, who don't give up much production to wide receivers. So, yeah, I don't really know who we would be going to in this mid-range. Um, so, yeah, any thoughts on your end on, on how you want to attack these final couple spots? I would love to grab CMC, and I'm trying to see what we can do to – Maybe squeeze him in. We but. could do uh, what is he? Is he 9,200 this week? Yeah, he's 9,300. So if we do it, we're gonna oh, 3,500. Good lord, I 
I just I got rid of Zeke, grabbed Antonio Gibson. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna have to like grab a tight end. Um, yeah, bro. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. That's genuinely pretty interesting. Uh, thirty five hundred or below. <laughs> uh, Demarcus Robinson is thirty six hundred. Um, oh. What do we got on defense? Hold on. I don't, it's, yeah, I mean, it would just be fun to have this this lineup with Kyron Williams and CMC. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, the the point here is to kind of work through our thoughts and see what's what we're capable of doing on the slate. And then you kind of push around the pieces on this puzzle like it's a slide puzzle, right? Like yeah. you could spend an hour with this roster and be like, okay, how do I want to move this one around? I mean, even at even at quarterback, what is isn't Stafford six K? So like you could go down from Jordan Love to Matthew Stafford on this roster and free up the extra. 200 as well, and then throw Demarcus Robinson on here and be like, bro, I've got Demarcus Robinson, Puka Nakua, and Kyron Williams, and Matthew Stafford, and Antonio Gibson as the bringback, you know, and all of a sudden it's become one of these. Uh, Antonio Gibson and Logan Thomas as the bringback. Actually, we almost force ourselves with this roster to do the the Stafford move because we have now have two Washington pieces, uh, and we're trying to get Demarcus Robinson three Rams pieces, and it goes back to this thing of saying, like, now we're telling the story of this game combining for 60 plus points, which uh, I haven't calculated the numbers, but it's been like a massive percentage of Washington games have combined for 60 plus points. Now we're telling the story of this game combining for 60 plus points and all the other games on the slate kind of underwhelming and Christian McCaffrey being the like sole scorer in the 49ers game, which he was the last time they played the Cardinals put up 51 DraftKings points in that one. Like this is a really clear story we're telling where we need, one thing to go, two things to go right. You know, we need Rams and Washington to shoot out uh, and we need uh, Christian McCaffrey to dominate the the scoring for the 49ers. And if we do that, we are laid, like one or two of these pieces from the Rams and commanders is going to miss and yet it doesn't matter. Like we're going to score over 200 points um, and outscore the field. And another cool thing here is we do have flexibility. Like Jaden Reed doesn't, we're no, no longer married to Jaden Reed on this roster. So we can move, like Jaden Reed around and Marcus Robinson around and find other ways to play that um, those final two spots. But I mean, even with those two, it's a tr pretty tremendous roster, honestly. Yeah, I totally agree. It was really cool to do that. And it's, it um, helps us learn to be flexible and not stuck on one idea. Yeah. It illustrates that point of like, like when in doubt, we should think not about what we want to predict is going to happen, but think about, uh, there was a week last year, and I forget what the situation was around it, but it was like um, Alvin Kamara and Austin Eckler were pretty equal plays. Uh, I actually liked Austin Eckler quite a bit more, but like on paper, they were pretty equal. But the strategy angle on Alvin Kamara was like way stronger. So I ended up going like twice as much ownership on Kamara as Austin Eckler, even though I liked Eckler more as a play. And on that particular week, it worked out to where Kamara outscored Eckler by like 12 points or something like that. And so it was like, the fact that I didn't marry what I thought was going to happen and instead let the, what would make me the most money over time, make my decision for me. Like, you know, you see how that ends up playing out to where, um, yeah, the more we can let go, like we kind of start from that point of predicting, we don't want to just go to bad plays because we want to recognize that we can predict what's likely is to happen in games and who's likely to get the work. But we also want to understand that there's a lot that we can't predict. And so as long as we're positioning ourselves for what makes us the most money, um, yeah, I mean, it became a really interesting roster how it's like, yeah, we want it like we can build a Jordan Love roster, right? And end up going that direction. But really cool to start with the Jordan Love and then kind of see how 
this tilts us in a different direction. For anybody who's wondering, like, yes, this is a viable roster in terms of like, are there too many Rams pieces on here? Are there too many Washington pieces on here? Uh, if this ends up being, uh, you know, a 38 to 31 game or something like that, um, on this slate where seven games could all finish, you know, below 42, 43 points, like then this ends up grabbing enough total points from this group of players that like this could win you a tournament of 10,000 entries, 25,000 entries, 50,000 entries. So, um, yeah, I mean, a sharp way to put this roster together, um, basically bet on two things happening. We, we want that <laughs> game to shoot out and we want Christian McCaffrey to get all the points for the, uh, the 49ers. Both those are very viable. So, um, yeah. Any final thoughts from, uh, from your end before we get out of here? No. Uh, it's just a funny way how we did it, but, uh, I'm happy with the final result. So yeah, it's a good, it was a, like a good little training session in terms of like seeing how, how we can be flexible with a build and especially with practice builds, because part of the purpose of practice builds should be forcing ourselves to like make moves and, and think outside the box and like, push us onto plays and situations and constructions that we might not have thought of through our logical mind. So uh, we were able to do that as well. Uh, we will, Keegan and I will be back here tomorrow, Friday. We will, uh, that, that goes live on YouTube and the OWS podcast feed on Saturday, Friday night or Saturday morning. So uh, technically we will, we will see each other tomorrow. We will see you guys back here on Saturday. We will see you on OWS throughout the weekend. And we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.